Welcome to the Invictus Church Podcast. We're grateful that you've chosen to listen, and we want to invite you to join us each week as we upload new content. Our prayer each week is that those who listen in would not just be stirred or inspired, but also changed. Now, get ready for life change with this week's message from Invictus Church. Welcome, everybody, to week number five of Marked. In this series, we've been talking about the various marks or evidences, fingerprints, if you will, that God has left behind in the world to let us know that he is here, he is with us, that he loves us, and that he cares about us. All of these things have been really profound and, uh, I think, impactful truths that we have been studying in this series. Now, I want to share with you, um, I lived in Oklahoma City for a long time. Uh, My family and I just moved here from Oklahoma City uh, last uh, July, and um, while I was living there, I saw uh, more than my share of suffering and uh, and pain and challenges. Um, I'll never forget uh, April 19th, 1995, when the Alfred P. Murrah building was bombed in Oklahoma City. Uh, I was a young pastor. I had just started working at my first uh, full-time uh, pastor position, and uh, I was called that day and asked to come to downtown Oklahoma City and to meet with families and counsel with families who had lost their loved ones uh, or didn't even know if they'd lost their loved ones. They hadn't heard from their loved ones yet that had been in the building. They were looking for them. And so uh, I went down to St. Anthony's Hospital into the basement and it was just chaos, uh, and uh, uh, they slapped a clergy tag on me and said, just walk around and talk to people and pray with them and encourage them because we don't know what else to do. It was chaos. It was just nuts. And so as I walked around this room and met many, many different people and families, um, there were, were several that stood out to me, too, I want to share with you today. Uh, I met the mother of a little boy named Antonio Cooper, and uh, Antonio was uh, six months old, and um, his mom had dropped him off in the daycare uh, in the Alfred P. Murrah building on the second floor there, and then she went to another building downtown where she worked, and she couldn't find her son. And uh, uh, another family that I met there, a couple, had a little 14-month-old girl named J.C. Coyne, and uh, they were also looking for their little girl, their daughter. And I found out uh, days later that both of these children had been killed and uh, uh, many of the people that I talked to that I found out about their families uh, or their, their, their loved ones who were in the building, I found out uh, as I watched the obituaries, their names would show up. And it was just so sad and so challenging. And I'll never forget the, the, the one question on every person's mind in that basement that day was why? Why would God let this happen? Um, then in uh, 2013, when the huge EF5 tornado swept through Moore, Oklahoma, uh, I was pastored a church that was just two miles away from the path of the tornado. And uh, we were one of the first churches where uh, emergency uh, organizations were setting up services in our parking lot, uh, asking us to help people. Our church was full of homeless families and people sleeping in our building for days on end because they had no place else to go. Uh, They had lost everything. Uh, It was really, really, really challenging and difficult. And, uh, you know, how do you respond in a situation like that? Uh, We had the people in our church who responded great. They, um, they, 
brought clothes and blankets and bottles of water and food and everything that you could imagine. Uh, we had one uh, company send a truckload of shoes that we had in our parking lot so that people who didn't have any shoes could come get shoes. And uh, it, it was just amazing the, 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 the outpouring that we saw of people serving and loving and helping those who were hurting. But once again, the question on everybody's mind that day was, why? Why did God let this happen? Why would God let this happen? I mean, there was a school, an elementary school that was hit, and children were killed. They were found where their teachers were huddled over the children's bodies trying to protect the kids from falling debris, and, and none of them made it. Why in the world would God let things like that happen? People were asking questions like, did God leave? Did he forget about us? Did we do something wrong? Did we anger him? Does he really love us? Does he even really exist? Now, over the course of this series, we've looked at different marks that God has left behind to demonstrate to us that, yes, indeed, he is here. Yes, indeed, he is present with us. And yes, indeed, he does love us. As we've talked about these things in week one, we talked about creation. And we looked at science and nature and how those things point to proof that there is a God, that he's with us, that he loves us. Week two, we talked about consideration. Uh, consideration is the ability to, to use reason and logic and to think about things. And that when, when we use reason and log logic, we can come to the conclusion, yes, indeed, there is a God. He loves us. He cares about us. He is present with us. In week three, we talked about conviction, how human beings all have a moral compass inside us, and that that is evidence that there is a God who has created us. Week four, we talked about connection, that we have a desire as human beings, a natural desire to connect with something bigger than ourselves. In other words, people are born naturally believing in God. Now, all of these things point to the truth about God. And the basic premise of this series is that the truth is knowable. Everybody, I want you to repeat that after me. Truth is knowable. You can know the truth. It is possible to know truth. Jesus puts it this way in John 8, 32, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That particular statement, the truth will set you free, is super relevant for today's talk because after the disasters that we face in our lives, we often feel bound. Have you ever had a bomb go off in your life? Maybe not literally like the Alfred P. Murrah building, but figuratively, something just completely blindsided you and what am I going to do? Have you ever felt like a tornado just swept through your family, through your career, through the tra trajectory of your life, through your dreams? You wonder, what the heck is going on? You're bound by things like unexpected personal loss. You're bound by sadness and by depression. You're bound by busyness, by exhaustion. You're bound by frustration and anger. You're bound by tough questions like, 
Why did this happen? Why didn't God stop it? Why didn't God choose to save those children? Why didn't God choose to save my marriage or my kid or my friends? Or, or, or why did God choose to protect some people and not other people? And why did God let bad things happen to, to other people? Why does God let, let bad things happen to me? Why me? And we feel bound by these questions. We can't let them go. They keep us up at night, and we feel like we are prisoners. Abraham, in the Bible, asked the question, should not the judge of the world judge fairly? Moses said, God, why don't you treat your people as they deserve? He said that at a time when his people were acting particularly awful. And God wasn't smiting them. (laughs) Have you ever seen somebody getting ahead and they're just a real piece of garbage? And you think, why, God, are you letting that happen? Why don't you treat that person like they deserve? Jeremiah the prophet said, why do wicked people prosper? It's not fair. The bad people are getting rich and the good people aren't. David. King David of Israel, over and over and over, wrote in the Psalms. uh, You you can hardly open the Psalms without finding him saying things like, God, why didn't you answer my prayer? God, where are you? Why don't you show yourself to me? Why don't you deliver me? God, why don't you seem fair? Today I want to talk to you about a truth that is indeed liberating, that can free us from the bondage that we sometimes feel, from the pain, the tornadoes, the bombs, the suffering that assault us in our life. And that truth is this. It's sometimes a hard truth for us to swallow, but it is true nonetheless. And the truth is this. God is good. All the time. And all the time. God is good. Some of you have heard that before. It's a tradition in many, many churches, has been for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years for a pastor to stand up and say, God is good, and for the people to respond all the time, and then for the pastor to say, and all the time, and the people respond, God is good. Would you guys do that with me real quick? God is good. And all the time. He is good. Sometimes that statement is hard for us to process, but it is important for us to always believe. In the middle of the midnight of your soul, God is good all the time. That's right. Let's try that again. God is good and all the time. That's so important for us to remember. The truth I want you to remember today and write this down is this. We can know God's truth through calamity. When awful stuff hits, calamity, we can learn the truth about God. We can find him in the middle of our pain and our suffering. Now, in previous weeks, I've talked about um, basically trump cards that we have when we're debating with atheists. 
These are, are cards that we can pull out and throw down on the table and say, how about that? And, and they're questions like this. Well, if there's no God, then why does creation so, show so much evidence for design? Atheists have a really, really difficult time explaining that. If there's no God, why is there so much evidence of a creator? If there's no God, why do human beings have a moral compass? Why would that even evolve if there was no God? They can't answer it. If there's no God, why has every human being and every human culture in human history had a God-shaped hole? Why are we all naturally born theists and we have to convert to atheism? They can't explain it. These are the trump cards for them. But today, we have a difficult job as we talk about calamity because I have to address the trump card the atheist likes to throw down on the table. And that question they throw down is if God is good, if God is loving, if God is powerful, then why do bad things happen? Now, the atheist will frequently throw that question down and they'll say there's really only three ways to answer it. One is, if God is powerful, if God is loving, then why is there evil? That's the question. And one way to answer it is, well, God must not be all powerful. He loves us, but he just can't stop the bad stuff. Another way to answer it would be, well, God is evil. He has the power to stop it, but he doesn't. He's not loving. Or the third way to answer it is there's no God. And that's what the atheist would throw out there for us and say there's only three ways for you to answer it. The fact of the matter is there are multiple ways to answer it that, uh, outside of those three ways. And I like to turn the question around a little bit. Well, if God is all-powerful, if God is all-loving and bad things happen, he must have a reason for it. I don't understand the reason. Many times I may not even like the reason. But there's another alternative there, isn't there? It's, it's possible to acknowledge God's power and his love and that evil exists all at the same time. And the way that we understand this, the way that we can process it is that God somehow uses the calamity in our life for good things because God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. Now, the short answer to this question, why is there evil? In philosophical circles, it's called the problem of evil or the problem of theodicy. Why do bad things happen? Why does God let bad stuff happen? The, the short answer is, honestly, I don't know. But he has a reason. I don't know what he's always up to, but he has a reason for it. And I'm not going to try to explain God's reasons to you today because I couldn't even begin to, to explain to you the vastness of the mind of God. I oftentimes tell people, you know, they say, well, when I understand God better, then I'll believe in him. When I can answer all these tough questions about God, then I'll believe in him. And I'm like, you know what? If you could believe a God that would fit inside your head, you're believing in a really small God. In fact, that would make you God. 
Because if God could fit inside here, you're bigger than that. And so you're the God over that thing that you shoved in your brain. (laughs) The fact that we believe in a mysterious God, one that's too big for us to comprehend, is actually comforting. If I could explain him, he wouldn't be real. He wouldn't be God. I would be. And how many of you would be willing to admit that this world would probably be a mess if Alan were God? (laughs) My wife and kids are the first ones to raise their hand. (laughs) But here's what I can do for you this morning. I can share with you some comforting thoughts that will help us as we're facing the calamities that life devastates us with. First thought is this, write it down. It's good that there's bad. Now that is a really tough pill for us to swallow. I'm not saying that evil is good. I'm saying it's good when you think about it that there is evil. Because evil gives us a measuring rod. If things were good all the time, you wouldn't know it. You know how you know when you're having a good day? Because it ain't a bad day. Because you've had bad days. And you have something to compare it to. And so you can wake up in the middle of those bad days and say, thank you God for this bad day because it's going to help me know what a really good day is like. It doesn't mean you have to be grateful that the bad stuff is happening, but we can be comforted in the fact that God is so good that somehow he even twists evil into something good. It's good that there's bad. Second thing I want you to write down, second thought that's good for us when we're processing the calamities in life is that through calamity, we experience the compassion of other people. If it weren't for bad stuff, we wouldn't even know what compassion is. The compassion of others would never happen in our lives apart from suffering. John 15, 13, Jesus said this, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. Now, why would you lay down your life for a friend if nothing bad was happening in his life? Man, you just won the lottery. I think I'm going to die for you. That doesn't make sense. You're about to be run over by a bus. I think I'll shove you out of the way and die for you. See, apart from suffering, there is no understanding in our world about what compassion really is. Through the pain of the 2013 tornado, here's what I saw. Thousands of people poured into the community from all over the world to help. Our church had too many volunteers to count. We couldn't keep track of who brought blankets, pillows, food, clothes, water, even dog and cat food. God's got to really be speaking to you to bring cat food. Because we all know that cats are Satan's favorite animal. I'm just kidding. If, if, If you get offended when I make cat jokes... Um, please don't email me. I don't read them. <laughs> God made cats so I would have something in this world to pick on that couldn't defend itself. I mean, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Cat lovers get really defensive. You can make fun of dogs all day long. Nobody gets mad. You make fun of cats and cat people are like, I have 813 of them. Anyway. We couldn't keep track of who stayed up all night 
night after night after night in our building to take care of the people that were staying there. We couldn't keep track of who helped us unload trailer after trailer after trailer of goods and and things that were showing up in our parking lot to be able to be distributed to people who were in need. Uh, We we had two guys who drove, drove from Illinois to Oklahoma just who stayed in our church for a couple of days and they drove down there completely free, didn't get paid a nickel, just to deliver feed for livestock for people who needed it. We, we had one couple come from New Jersey and wanted a place to stay, so they slept at our church. And they said, we were going to take a three-day weekend anyway, so we thought we would just take it down here. I mean, who vacations to Tornado Alley? Compassion was poured out like crazy. There were three churches the Sunday after the tornado that I knew of uh, around the world. I mean, many, many churches took a special offering uh, to help benefit the people that had uh, suffered through the tornado, but three in particular that took a special offering and sent the money directly to our church and said, be sure that this this gets uh, used for tornado relief. We saw compassion being poured out like crazy. It's through these actions that we see the reality of Isaiah 58.10 when the prophet wrote, feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 5.16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. It's through calamity that we can experience the compassion from other people. But I want you to write a third thought down. Not only do we experience the compassion of others during calamity, but during those times we experience compassion from God. Through, com- through calamity, we experience compassion from God. God mourns with us. When that tornado sweeps through your family, when that bomb goes off in your career, when that problem explodes in your life, God mourns with you. He's not happy that we suffer. Psalm 34, 18 says this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Psalm 147, 3 he heals the brokenhearted, brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. I don't know why God allows calamities, but I do know this. Every difficulty in your life offers you a choice to either turn away from him or to turn to him. Your outlook determines your response. What do I mean by that? I saw many cases of this during the the bombing and during the tornado where people experienced the exact same thing but had a completely different response. And their different response was determined by their different outlooks. One family would say, we lost everything in the tornado. Our home was obliterated. We've got nothing left. Family pictures, memories, all of it, gone. Thank God he saved our lives. And I had other people who would say, we lost everything in the tornado, everything gone. We don't have anything left. Curse God for doing this to me. 
You see, their response was determined by their outlook. One of those groups of people believed that God is indeed good. And the other didn't. Now, which one of those groups of people do you think was happier? Are bitter people happy? Are bitter people content? Are bitter people at peace? What does bitterness do? Scripture describes bitterness as a root. If you've ever had a root grow under your driveway, you know that ain't good. The root of bitterness grows down deep inside us and it crushes us. It destroys us. If you're depressed and you don't believe that God is good, your depression is only going to get worse. If you're angry and you don't believe that God is good, your anger is only going to get worse. Bitterness is a cancer in your soul. It will destroy you. And it will destroy your relationships. It will destroy the people around you. People won't want to be around you. But if you believe in the goodness of God, even in the most difficult of circumstances, you'll be able to say, thank you, God, for something. Don't you like being around grateful people? When people are smiling and content and full of hope, that's contagious. But when people are angry and bitter, frustrated, it's also contagious. Which one of those ways do you want for your life? See, nearly every atheist that I have ever known personally, not every single one, but nearly every single one, has been bitter towards religion or church or God. Almost universally, they had a conversion story. Where it's like, yep, I believed in God, then something bad happened, and I got mad at him, so I don't believe in him anymore. Like, if you don't believe in him, why are you mad at him? Maybe you've heard it described this way. There are two tenets of atheism. There is no God and I hate him. Doesn't make sense. Now, some atheists would say, well, I'm not like that. I'm, I'm not mad at God. I just don't believe. Well, I dare you to stop and consider and ask yourself, what led you to that conclusion? What really propelled you over the edge? Because if you tell me, well, it's the scientific evidence, I can talk you under the table all day long about scientific evidence that is absolute bullpucky. Stuff that has been completely proven wrong that lots of atheists point to and say, well, this is evidence that there's no God. So it wasn't the scientific evidence. You can't convince me of that. It was something else. Something disappointed you at some point. You wanted something from God, and he didn't give it to you. So you're like, well, maybe he's just not there at all. And so it wasn't anger that drove you away, but maybe it was disappointment. See, here's something we've got to wrap our mind around as people. God does not exist to serve us. 
He loves us enough that often he does serve us. But it's his choice, not his requirement. When we treat God like, you didn't do this for me, so I'm not going to believe in you, you know what that is? That's a two-year-old throwing a fit. You're not giving me what I want, so I'm going to hold my breath. (gasps) Just admit it for what it is. But if we adjust our perspective and we realize that, you know what, there are things in our lives that disappoint us and even though I may not like it, even though I may not understand it, God is good and he has a purpose for those things. It changes everything in our lives. The week of the 2013 tornado, I had a reporter ask me, how would you respond to people who say religion is a crutch? Well, that immediately let me know where this reporter stood on the whole God versus no God debate. That's an atheist's question right there. Religion's a crutch. And I said, a crutch is a great thing for somebody with a broken leg. When there's brokenness in our lives, yeah, religion, faith in God is a crutch. And it's good because it helps me limp through. It's good that I have a God I can lean on and believe in and depend on. Jesus described a pretty great crutch in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. Lean on the crutch. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you will know the way to where I am going. No, we, we don't know, Lord, said Thomas. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Life is difficult, but difficulties are temporary. They're just for now. Life with God in heaven is eternal. And Christians have this hope. One day, there will be no more pain. Christians have this hope. One day, there will be no more sin. There will be no more death. There will be no more anger. There will be no more tragedy. There will be no more disappointment. There will be no more sleepless nights. There will be no more anxiety. There will be no more depression. There will be no more illness. There will be no more suffering. There will be none of that. We will be delivered from it. And Christians can survive life's 
crippling blows with the crutch of Jesus because they know that they know that they know this is just for now. But one day, one day, it'll all be different. No more weeping. No more tears. Nothing but peace. Nothing but deliverance. Nothing but joy. Doesn't that just make you want to go to heaven? But that hope is only for those who know Jesus, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you don't have Jesus today, I don't know how you can make it through. Without Jesus, I don't know how you're going to survive your depression. Without Jesus, I don't know how your marriage is going to be saved. Without Jesus, I don't know how you are going to navigate your financial trauma and drama and problems in your life. Without Jesus, I don't know how you're going to bounce back from a devastated career. Without Jesus, I don't know how you're going to be able to really work through the grief of losing somebody. Because you don't have a crutch. And that breaks my heart. I'm begging you today. If you don't know Christ, stop trying to face this world on your own. It's folly. It's foolishness. And it only gets worse. Somebody was asking me about hell. What's hell like? Is it lots of fire? And I don't know. I've never been there. But I can tell you this. Scripture teaches us that eternity in hell is eternity without the presence of God. And if you think this world is messed up, where the presence of God is, can you imagine what it will be like without his presence at all? This world is bad enough to face without Jesus. Don't face eternity without him. God gives peace to those who trust him. That's the power of being a Christian in this world. That's the thing that changes our lives. For people who are Christians, they become different, they change because they're so grateful that they have hope. Their outlook changes because this stuff is only temporary. They begin to hate the sin in their own life and want to be different people and want to change and want to become better because they want to honor God. 
They don't feel this burden of, oh my gosh, I feel guilty all the time over these horrible sins in my life and I'm a terrible person because I can't please God. They realize that through Jesus, God has been pleased with me. I'm forgiven, I'm changed, I'm transformed and now I can overcome stuff in my life because I have a crutch. The gospel changes us radically, permanently, eternally changes us, and it gives us a peace that can't be explained. Take a look at what Jesus said to those who have trusted him. Just a little while later after he did all of that talk about, you know where I'm going, and I'm the way, the truth, and the life, just a little while later in that same passage, he says, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift this world cannot give So don't be troubled or afraid. Why does God let bad things happen? I don't know. But I know that he's good. And that he uses our suffering because he is good. Suffering allows us to experience God's goodness if we let it. Will you believe in his goodness today? Will you accept his goodness today and let it transform you? Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to the Invictus Church podcast. Be sure to tune in every week for more new content. We'd like to invite you to join us in person for our weekend worship services. To get more information about our meeting times and location, please visit us online at www.invictus.church. If this or any of our episodes have inspired you to take steps in your relationship with Jesus, please let us know by sending us a note at info at invictus.church. We would love to hear how our message has helped change your life. Also, if our podcast has been meaningful for you and you'd like to give financially to our ministry, you can easily make your contribution online at www.invictus.church give. Thanks one more time for listening. We hope you'll join us again next week.